Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We are talking in tonight on the book of Acts. We are starting in Acts chapter 8. For those of you that are joining, we are New King James Version. We're keeping it all the same version just so that we can all parallel and we can all follow along. I just started doing these in the book of Revelation, these verse by verse. Now we're in the book of Acts. We've been breaking it up a little bit with other streams, but we are talking out of Acts chapter 8. For recap, for those of you that were not here, Stephen has just been martyred. They've been threatening the disciples, saying, if you guys keep doing this, we're going to kill you. And the disciples decided, we're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep sharing. Nothing we can do. The disciples said, how are we going to listen to man when God is the one that's called us? God is the one that's told us to do this. We're not going to listen to you. And they kept threatening them. They would beat them up, say, if you keep preaching, we're going to kill you. And the disciples kept preaching. And eventually it led up to Stephen being the first martyr in the book of Acts, actually got stoned for his faith. And now the disciples are in the midst of persecution, thriving. In the midst of persecution, the church is growing. Demons are being cast out. Miracles are happening. The poor are being fed and the disciples are showing us, oh, come on, Holy Ghost, help me preach tonight, that this is the normal Christian life. That the book of Acts is the normal Christian life. That the normal Christian life is not go to church on Sunday and do nothing for God. If that's what you think is Christianity, you're not living the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is preaching the gospel, is baptizing people, is laying hands on the sick, is radical prayer meetings, is driving out devils. These are not extracurricular ministries. This is, come on, the normal Christian life. And what we've been trying to get you guys to and what we've been preaching, come on, share this broadcast, like the broadcast. And what we've been telling you about in the book of Acts is this is God's normal for you. The normal is not just being babysat. Here's the issue in the American church. You think that going to church on Sunday is Christianity. So you're miserable because you go to church on Sunday for an hour and a half, and then you live not like a Christian the rest of the week, and you say, well, Christianity is boring. It's not that Christianity is boring. It's that the version you've created is absolutely boring. The, the church on Sunday is the gas station, not the journey. And when you think that you bought a car just to go to the gas station, you're going to be bored. You did not get Christianity and the Holy Spirit to just go get filled up every week. That's what we do at church. We get filled. We get empowered. Why? To go pour out the gospel, to go pour out, to reach people, to pray for people. And we got all these people stuck in the upper room saying, Lord, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me. And God's going, again? You got baptized last week, the week before. You've been getting filled with the Holy Spirit, but you're not pouring out. The reason why God fills us is because we are pouring out. The reason why Jesus kept going to prayer and the Father would fill him and the Holy Spirit would fill him is because he was pouring out. So if you're not pouring out, why are you asking to be filled? You're already full. We need to pour out what God has given us. He said, go, heal the sick, cast the demons, preach the gospel. Freely you've been given. Freely give. So what I've given to you, we're in Acts chapter 8. That's where we're starting tonight. What I've given to you, I want you to pour out on other people. And so let me ask you and frame this to start. What have you, who have you poured out on? What has these teachings, these sermons, the 300 hours you watched of me preach last year, praise the Lord for the grace of God enabling me to do that. Has it affected anybody? The writer of Hebrews says, by now you ought to be teachers. There has to come a point 
where I get what God has given me and I pour it out onto other people. I'm not training you to do deliverance so that you can keep self-delivering yourself. Come on. I'm not training you to lay hands on the sick so that you can just lay hands on yourself all the time. We are teaching you to pray for the sick, to drive out demons, to preach the gospel, to function in the gifts, to learn how to fast and the power and the anointing so that you can go out and be the person God has called you to be. I'm not angry, friend. I just, I just see there's so much more for you. And you don't have enough people shouting at you, telling you there's more in God. You don't have enough people passionate around you saying there's more than how you're living. Or would you just rather me be like all these other guys and say, oh, brother, you don't need to lay hands on the sick. You don't need to be like Christ. You could just be how you are. God is okay. God is not, God doesn't yell. God is not passionate. You know, you could just relax and just be like us, dead, dry, and religious. You don't ever need to see people raised from the dead. That wasn't literal. It was just Jesus. He meant this or meant that. No, he didn't. He literally meant you can lay hands on the sick. You can cast out devils. You can raise the dead. He wasn't being figurative. It was not a figment of an imagination. It was not a philosophy or an idea. It was a biblical reality that you have the power of God, access to God, the anointing of God to do what Jesus did. Jesus said, you're going to do what I do and you're going to do even greater things. He wasn't just saying, oh, maybe he was going, this is your calling. This is your assignment. So you have enough people telling you you're awesome where you're at. You need people that are calling you up higher. And I wish if you could, I hope if you could fault me on something, it's that I'm calling you up to another level. It's that I'm too radical. It's that I'm too passionate. I would rather people say, you shout too much. I can't listen to that. It's too much, too loud. It's too passionate for me. Then people say you're dead or God say you're dead. There has to be some type of life because I'm, I'm reading the book of Acts and I'm seeing people that are passionate. I'm seeing the fire and the presence of God raging on these people. And in Acts 8, 1, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Now we're going into Acts chapter 8 and Saul, it's telling us, is consenting into the death of Stephen. This Saul is guarding the killers who's stoning Stephen's clothing. And these are some possibilities of who this man named Paul is. He may have been, some believe, a member of the Sanhedrin. He may have acted as the official herald who announced Stephen being executed. He may have been one of the rabbinical students who attended the Sanhedrin meetings to learn. We know, we're going to show you later, that Saul is a very religious man. And in fact, the reason why Saul is persecuting the church, persecuting the move of God, is trying to defend orthodoxy, trying to defend uh, God, the God of Israel, and he thinks that these her these heretics are coming in, preaching a new gospel, not realizing he missed Jesus is coming. He was like all their other religious people that thought they were doing God a favor by persecuting the fire of God, persecuting the presence of God. How many of these people do we still know that think they're helping God out? by preaching against miracles that think they're helping God out by preaching against radical Christianity. They think they're helping God by preaching against miraculous encounters and supernatural experiences. And most of them are not doing it maliciously. They're doing it thinking that they're defending God. And so now Saul is, 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 um, is, is agreeing with the killing of Stephen. Saul is carrying the clothes of those that are executing Stephen. In Acts 1, I'm sorry, Acts 8 verses 1 through 3 says, at that time a great persecution arose against the church, was at, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, listen to Saul's character. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. 
entering every house and dragging men and women, committing them to prison. So this is Saul. He's going door to door asking, is anyone here a believer? Is anyone here of the way? Is anyone here in Christian? And if they said yes, Saul is dragging male and female out and committing them to prison. The day Stephen died, Saul, with the approval of the Sanhedrin, launches this all-out campaign to wipe out believers, to wipe out anybody that is preaching in the name of Jesus and to drive faith away from their hearts, to dry, to dry, to cause their fire to get cold and to quench what God is doing. And Saul's an equal opportunity persecutor. He's persecuting, the Bible says, both men and women, anybody. And many of these people are paying for the gospel with their lives, are laying their lives down. Now, Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to have to lay your life down. And many of us go, oh, yes, yeah, spiritually, I'm going to lay my life down. But not understanding Jesus is not just speaking in a physical, uh, a spiritual sense, although there is spiritual connotations to laying your life down. Many of us have laid our life down spiritually, obviously not physically, or else I wouldn't be preaching to you right now. But Jesus says, I'm not only talking about spiritually, when you say yes to God, you're also saying yes, that God, I will lay my life down physically. Are we at that point where we say, Lord, I will lay my life down physically for you. I will lay my life down for the sake of the gospel. Now, Saul is beginning this onslaught on the church. Up until this point, the church had been in high esteem in Jerusalem. Remember, they are feeding the poor. They are helping people. They're starting community outreaches. They are esteemed in Jerusalem. The culture, the people love them. Now Saul turns the citizens of Jerusalem against the church. And now believers go from being high esteem in, in one sense to the people praised for feeding the poor and helping people to now believers are running for their lives. And listen, I want you to just zoom out from wherever you live that's not persecuted. There are people in this broadcast as we speak, that are running for their lives from the gospel. I had a guy that works with the underground church in Iraq, in Iran, and he told me that they've used my deliverance teachings in the underground church. And friend, understand, I don't realize this. As I'm preaching, people in the underground church are listening, listening to me preach. And what disservice would it be if I just preached this American gospel and we didn't recognize them? I talked about persecution last week and we've been highlighting persecution because there is a real reality that people listening right now are running for their lives for the gospel. And they're running for their lives and we won't even run for God. We won't even live for God. We say, Lord, I'll die for you. And God is saying, you're willing to die for me. And you make all these claims, but you're not even willing to live for me. And God is looking for some people that would be so passionate, that would be so radical, that say, Lord, I'm willing to die for this thing. Saul's now entering these houses, pulling people out, dragging people out of their homes. And he's again, not just choosing men, but also women. And I'm, I'm married with four little girls. And it's a terrifying thought to think that there's a real possible reality that there's coming a day where I could get drugged out of my own home, where somebody can bust into my home and drag me out. And our homes being a place of safety, a place of refuge. And in many countries today, people are getting drugged out of their homes. Could this be the case? I don't know. You tell me in the chat where someday in America, we are dragged out of our home for the gospel. Could this be the case that in America someday we are removed out of our homes for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And are we ready for that day? Now, friend, I don't know if we'll ever get to that day, but I have to prepare my heart for it. I have to preach and prepare for it because it's a real reality and it's happening in many places in the world today. This is why we need a solid faith. 
This is why we can't have this tickle me Elmo, this soft Christianity. This is why we need to have faith that doesn't waver in the midst of persecution. Who can stand in the midst of this strong persecution? Well, we're not going to know until it actually happens. The Bible says the man that hears the word and does it builds his house on a rock. But a man that hears the word and doesn't do it builds his hand, his house on the sand. But here's what you need to know about the two men that are building. They're building in the same neighborhood. You can't tell the difference between the man that builds on the rock and the man that builds on the sand until the storm comes. It's when the storm comes. It's when persecution comes. It's when trials come that you're able to tell the difference. And friend, I don't want to have to wait until the trials come, until the storms come to be able to realize I was built on sand that entire time. My mom is a correctional officer. She is a sheriff's officer. She works at the sheriff's department. And friend, is there a real reality that there could be a day where I'm in my mom's jail? Absolutely. And for me to not think that, I'm not preaching conspiracy here, but I want you to wrap your head around this. For me to not think that that's a real possibility is to live a life of denial. Is it going to be in one year? Is it going to be in five years? Is it going to be in 10 years? When will the gospel be outlawed in America like it is the rest of the world? Will it be ever? I don't know. But I know that this is the price that we have to be willing to pay when we sign up for the gospel. And who's to say, who's to say that you don't get saved? And then God say, I'm sending you to India. I'm sending you to a persecuted area in Africa. I'm sending you into Indonesia. I'm sending you into a village or a tribe or a place in China, or I'm sending you to North Korea to lay your life down. Well, now you're in America. The call of God comes and God sends you to persecuted nation. What are you going to tell God? No. What are you going to tell God? I'm not going to go because you know, my job here, my family here, this is the calling to the believer that when you say yes to God, you say yes to the plan that he has on your life. And so now Saul is dragging people out of homes. He's persecuting the church. And in Acts chapter eight, verse four, it says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, I want you to realize if it hadn't been for Saul, the disciples would have probably hung around living this Jerusalem comfort fellowship, and they were just be waiting around. The problem is, while the disciples are waiting around, the world is waiting for them to come and preach to them. And friend, we as believers have to stop waiting around just thinking, God wants to get the word out, he will. God wants to use you. Now, they had already been witnesses in Jerusalem for seven or eight years, but now it's time to expand the gospel out of Jerusalem. There is now no limits. Write this down. There's now no limits to the gospel thanks to persecution. In fact, persecution does the opposite effect of what it's planned to do. The plan of persecution is to stomp out the gospel, but what it really does is it makes the gospel grow. Persecution spreads the fire. It brings people out of their comfort zone and it causes people to go places they would have never not, would have never otherwise went. Persecution is a good thing. Is it heartbreaking? Yes. Is it hard to swallow? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes, but it grows the gospel. What the devil means for bad, God turns it around for good. An early Christian, Tertullian, wrote this, the blood of the martyrs is the church's seed, that the church grows in the midst of persecution. What the devil tries to do to snuff out and to destroy and to kill and to take, God brings growth in in Acts 8, verses 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded to the things that, are, that were spoken by Philip. So I want you to notice this. The people with one accord heeded what Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were there demonized and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So Philip now says, I'm going to go down to Samaria and I'm going to continue to spread the gospel. We're being persecuted. We're being killed for the faith. Or am I going to respond with fear? Am I going to hide in my home? No, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach in Samaria Christ to them. Now, the Samaritans, for those of you that don't know, were people of mixed ancestry. They were a combination of poor northern Israelites transplants from other and transplants from other conquered nations. So these are Israelites mixed with people that were coming from other conquered nations, de defeated nations, and their religion was a corrupted form of Judaism. They accepted scripture, only the first five books of the Old Testament, and they shared the Jews' anticipation of the Messiah coming. Now, pure Jews never accepted Samaritans as real Jews. In turn, Samaritans despised Jews for the rejection. So the Samaritans were wanting to follow, wanting to be, but they were never accepted as real Jews because they were mixed and they were despised by the Jews and they despised the Jews because of their rejection. So these, these people are, are like we were. They are rejects. They are outcasts. They are lowly in the eyes of humanity. And Philip comes and says, I'm going to preach to these people. And Philip introduced Jesus to the Samaritans as their Messiah. The Holy Spirit then authenticates his preaching with miracles, which we see over and over. Hundreds believed and there was joy all over the town. Now here's interesting thing to note. The place that Philip was preaching at was the same place Jesus preached at when he met the woman at the well. He preached in this very same place. And here's the point in this. Sometimes God is going to call us to preach to certain people more than once. That we have to keep going back to those same people. Come on, somebody help me preach in the chat. My chat's messing up here. We have to keep going back to those people that we preached to before. Don't stop preaching to that friend or family just because they've heard the gospel before. Don't stop preaching to that friend or family just because somebody told them about the gospel, somebody told them this or somebody told them that. You gotta keep going and preaching again and inviting them again and preaching again. Jesus preached for two days in Samaria to these people and we got it. And now the disciples, now Philip is going back and saying, I'm gonna preach even if you've heard it before. Cause I wanna tell you that there are some friends and family that have heard the gospel before and God is saying to you tonight, it's time for you to go preach to them again. It's time for you. It's been years since you brought them the gospel. And you say, well, Isaiah, I preached to them before and they rejected the gospel. And God says, preach to them now. Because now it might, that seed that you planted, as you go water that seed, it might be ready to grow. Remember, there's only certain seasons that certain seeds grow. And it might be the right season for that seed to grow. I had seeds planted in me. I had people preaching to me. My sister begged me to go to church for months. I, I think it was like six months. She's begging me, go to church, go to church, go to church. And I finally went to church just to shut my little sister up. She kept planting that seed. She kept watering that seed. And with other family members praying and people believing God for me, that seed was able to grow, but there was persistence. We need to keep going back. Who do you need to go back to and preach to? Who do you need to go back to and share to? And the Bible says, here's what Philip preached. He preached Christ to them. Preaching Christ is the only thing that works. Many of us are preaching about our church. We're telling people about our ministry. We're bragging about what we do. We're telling people, oh, you should come to a play or this special service by this special speaker. But this is what Philip preached, Christ. 
He preached and talked about the crucifixion. He talked about the resurrection. He talked about the ascension. He talked about the 39 lashes, the teaching of the kingdom, the time that Jesus came and showed himself to the disciples, the time that Jesus opened up their blind eyes, the time he opened up the deaf ears. And friend, understand that people are drawn when Christ is preached. People wonder, how do you get viewers and why? Because I preach Christ. I preach Christ, a real man died. And on the third day, resurrected, seated at the right hand of God, gives us the Holy Spirit and gives us the power of God. This is what we need to preach. And friend, we don't preach Christ anymore. What do you mean, brother? My church preaches Christ. Do they preach on hell? Do they preach on consecration? Do they preach on separation? Do they preach on the blood of Jesus? Do they preach on casting out devils? Do they preach on laying hands on the sick? These are what Christ did and preached on. So when Philip is preaching Christ, we know Philip's casting out devils because the Bible just says he is. We know that he's praying for the sick and he's preaching Christ to them. This is the full message of the, the gospel. This is the full power of God is when you preach Christ. And we've been preached in a compromised gospel. This is what we teach people. How to get more by doing less. How to, how to be less on fire. How to be less passionate. How to be less powerful and radical. How could I be as little on fire and little radical as possible so I don't offend all of my friends and family and business partners and still be saved. And so the church has fabricated a watered down, weak, powerless gospel that teaches you how to give less and how to get more. Like God is on clearance or something. Like God is some sale item. Like we have some special on Christ where you don't have to do much. But here's Philip. Philip says, we're gonna preach Christ because that's what's gonna draw the people. Because when you preach Christ, that's when people come alive. When you preach the gospel that Jesus preached, not the gospel, how to change God to fit your life, how to improve your temporary life on earth. Preaching is more than a mere pep talk for spiritual infants that don't want to be weaned off the milk of the word. Preaching is for those that are dead in their sin, that need the power of God and those that are hungry for God, that are, that are needing, not those that are just fine where they're at, these spiritual infants that fill our churches that don't want to be weaned off in the deeper things of God. Friend, you came alive. Oh man, I'm preaching strong. I'm sweating tonight. You came alive when somebody told you about God. That's why Peter said, where would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. We've already tried drugs. We've already tried parting and this and that, and nothing made us feel alive the way you make us feel alive. You have the words of eternal life. Friend, when you preach Jesus, dead people come back to life. Now, I want you to notice something. Hi, Daniel Adams, you're gonna like this, bro. Philip is the only named evangelist in scripture, and we're gonna find out what that is he do. He preaches, he heals the sick, and he drives out demons. So what is, okay, let's just, it's not hard to recognize here. What is biblical evangelism? It's preaching the gospel. It's driving out demons and it's healing the sick because in Acts chapter 20 something, Philip's the only named, of course, there's other evangelists in scripture, but I'm talking named evangelists and Philip preaches, casts out devils and heals the sick. Now, if you're not doing those things, <laughs> let me just give you a second to think here. Don't tell me that you're doing biblical evangelism. Don't tell me that you're evangelizing when you're handing out flyers to come to some play at your church. Or oh, we're going to have an evangelism service. We're going to put on a production and we're going to have a play. And then we're going to invite people to fill out cards and accept Jesus into their hearts. 
and they're never going to live different. The power of God's not going to be present in our church. Nobody's going to get delivered. Nobody's going to get healed. No one's going to get really saved. We're just going to convince them that they can add Jesus to their compromised life, that they can fill out a card and everything is going to be fine. But Philip says, I'm going to preach. They're going to respond to my preaching and I'm going to cast out devils and heal the sick. Now, for those of you that ascribe to the teaching that Christians can't have demons, if Christians can't have demons, he would have never cast out demons. Think about this. If Christians can't have demons, there's no need for deliverance because he would have just said, I'm going to preach to you guys. You're going to become a Christian and all your demons are going to leave because this is what the majority of the church preaches. They get mad when we preach on Christians having demons and they say Christians can't have demons. So you're telling me there's no need for deliverance because all I got to do is get the person saved and then all the demons are going to come out of them. That's not what Philip did. Philip preaches, they heed the preaching and Philip's casting out devils and healing the sick. So again, can a Christian be sick in body? Type one if you think a Christian could be sick. Absolutely. Well, how could a demon and the Holy Spirit dwell in the same place? They don't dwell in the same place. Sickness dwells in the flesh. It dwells in the soul. Demons. The Bible says nothing good dwells in the flesh. There's nothing good dwelling. That's a living place in the flesh. That's where demons are at. The Holy Spirit is in our spirit made perfect. So the Holy Spirit and the demon don't share the same place. The same way you could be sick and be a Christian and full of the spirit is the same way you could have a demon and be sick and, and be full of the Holy Spirit. So I don't get why these guys teach this false thing saying Christians can't have demons. Well, let me say it again. I know why they do because they're lazy. And if they preach Christians could have demons, then guess what they're going to have to do? Number one, they're going to have to give up their past to the country club and actually do work and not just troll people on Facebook. Number two, they're going to have to tell you why for the last 30 years of their ministry, they've never cast out a devil. So I don't want to humble myself and I don't want to put the work in. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to say Christians can't have demons because I don't have to worry about anything. And I could find, well, actually there's no verses that say that, but I could look for verses out of context and there's actually only one. And it says, how could light and dwell, darkness dwell together? And it's actually Paul saying they shouldn't dwell together, not they can't dwell together. And the verse is not about demons. It's about unbelievers and believers partnering together. So that's the only verse they have. And that verse is totally taken out of context, yet you're going to see over and over again people that believed in Jesus getting delivered. People in this verse, in Acts 8, they believed the message, yet they still got deliverance. So, again, it's a lazy thing to say people can't be demonized. And then you have the nerve to tell people they're not saved because you come to me with a demon and I don't believe Christians can have demons. Guess what my first thing is? Oh, well, you're probably not Christian. Okay, then the response is, well, how do I become a Christian? Oh, wow, brother, you just got to pray this prayer and accept Jesus into your heart. So you say, okay, I'll do it. And you repeat like a parrot after them. Jesus, come into my heart, build a tree house and save me, right? You do the prayer that's not in the Bible. And then you still have the demon. And then you say, well, the demon's still there. And they say, oh, maybe you weren't sincere. I'm just exposing them tonight. Maybe you just weren't sincere when you prayed that prayer. How are you going to tell me I wasn't sincere? No, how about I am a Christian. I do have the Holy Spirit, but I'm demonized because I have spirits from the past that no one ever drove out. And Jesus did not say, I'm preaching. Jesus did not say when you get saved, all the demons leave you. Where's the verse? Jesus did not say Christians can't have demons. Jesus, Mark 1 cast out devils in the synagogue and mark 138 says and jesus went from synagogue to synagogue casting out demons so put that in your religious pipe and smoke it 
Jesus really did this. This is not a some some fake thing we're preaching. This is what Jesus did and Philip did. So what are the three things? I'm going too long tonight, guys. But you got me all riled up. What are the three things Philip did? He preached, he healed the sick, and he cast out demons. Those are the three main things. Now, what are the three main things Jesus did? Type it in the chat. Preached, healed the sick, and cast out demons. Very simple. These are three targeted activities we should be doing. Remember, Jesus said miracles prove I am who I say I am. Paul said this, I preach. Now, you might be one of those people that say, it's not about signs and wonders, brother. It's not about preaching, uh, doing miracles. It's not about encounters. You guys just chase encounters. First of all, I'm preaching literally verse for verse the Bible tonight. So stop with your foolishness. I'm literally preaching the Bible verse for verse. Let me just change it here so I can look right at you. So stop saying, oh, you guys are not about the Bible. We're literally, and, and a lot of these guys shut up when I started preaching the Bible one by one. But that's first of all. Second of all, this is what Paul said. Romans 15, 19. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. How were they convinced, Paul? When you preached, how did you convince them? They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and the power of God's spirit. So stop telling me it's not relevant. And then Paul says this, in this way, in what way, Paul? Miraculous signs and wonders. I just told you in the last sentence. In this way, Paul says, Romans 15, 19, type it in the chat. I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Lyricum. So Paul says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach with miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. That's going to convince them. Because remember, the signs and wonders convince them. Why am I doing this? So that I know that the full gospel is preached. The full news. The full good news. So is the gospel full without signs and wonders? No, it's a partial gospel. So now here's Philip preaching. People are responding. People are getting devils cast out of them. People are getting saved. And this is what it says in Acts 8, 19, Acts 8 9 through 13. And it looks like we're probably only going to get through chapter 8 because I'm going long here. It's okay. It says, but there was a certain man called Simon. So Philip's casting out devils. I want you to remember that. He's threatening demonic kingdoms. Okay. He's threatening the spiritual atmospheres. They are, the devils are panicking when Philip comes into town. But watch what it says here. It says there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria. So he was a sorcerer claiming that he was someone great to whom they all from the least to the greatest saying this man, the great, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded to him because he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles which were done. So here is a famous sorcerer in a city, but here's the problem. The true power of God shows up. The real thing shows up. And this is what I've realized. People are willing to follow the fake until the real shows up. They're willing to follow tarot cards, angel cards, sorcerers, mediums, astrologers. They'll get into astrology, all this stuff. They'll be like, I'm a this, I'm a Leo, I'm a cancer. I'm like, dude, do not, that's like the worst thing. You're literally calling yourself cancer. What are you doing? And they have all these astrologies. And I even heard a famous preacher recently talk about how they were into. They're like, I know all the signs and all the astrology. And I'm like, and this is like famous, 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 famous preacher. And I'm thinking like, what? You're literally invoking demons. Friend, let me just side, side say this. Okay, it's my broadcast. I can go long. Thank you. Let me say this. If you are involved in tarot cards, if you're involved in astrology and signs and Leo and cancer and this and that, 
You are invoking demons. You are invoking invocation. That's inviting them in. You're inviting demons in. You're creating a portal when you get into astrology. Now, astrology and astronomy are not the same things, okay? Astronomy is the study of stars in space. Astrology is literally the worship of space and stars and moons and lining up and creation and all of that. And it's absolutely demonic. And you're opening yourself up to a demonic portal. So don't wonder why... Why am I dealing with the spirit of anxiety, depression, fear, all this? Maybe because you're reading astrology. Maybe because you're le reading about. Why do you need to go to look up the sign of Leo or cancer if you can go to Yahweh and he can tell you your destiny? He can tell you Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to show you future events. That's literally what Jesus said. But we have to go to a, a plastic card. We have to um, have a medium read us and use a spirit of divination. These are open doors to demonic portals. Do not play with Satan. Do not play his games. We were just eating Chinese food yesterday. And my daughter broke open her fortune and said, will you read me this? I said, we don't read fortunes. And you're like, brother, that's religious. The Bible says not to get involved in fortunes or fortune tellers. So no, you could call it innocent, but we don't do fortune cookies. We don't read fortunes. We don't need to look to a star or to the moon. We look to the one that created the stars and the moons. Why am I going to look to the creation when I can look to the creator and all it is, is it's demons coming into your life and afflicting you. So, and you say, I don't really believe that. Okay, well, I'll see you in six months when you come for deliverance because you got all these demons that came through the open door when you started getting into counterfeit, astrology, sorcery. This is what this guy was doing. But now the real shows up and they say, we're going to follow Philip because we realize Simon is false. And many Christians are following counterfeit Christianity and they don't realize it until they see the real thing. And then they decide to follow the real thing. Many of you say, I was, I was raised in church. Nobody ever told me about miracles or casting out devils or preaching the gospel or baptizing. And now I'm like walking this thing out. That's because you are following counterfeit for so long. You are following a counterfeit pastor, a counterfeit gospel for so long. And now you're seeing the real thing and you're like, this is real. And guess what the fake are going to try to do? Convince you it's not real. Oh, do you stay away from Isaiah? You stay away from Daniel Adams. You stay away from Vlad. You stay away from Mike and Pagani. All those, all those guys, those internet ministers and not realizing we all are plugged into a local church. We all travel and preach at churches, but it's okay. They don't know. And they just say, you need to stay away. That's, that's, you know, they're eccentric. They focus only on, on what, what Jesus focused on. We focus on the Bible. What you're mad about is that you're counterfeit and you've been giving them fake. And now that the real shows up, we expose the fake. We expose the fact that you're not real. You're not doing what Jesus said to do. So miss me with all that. Oh, be careful for, be careful of what? That you might get delivered. You might get saved. You might get radical. What they're really afraid of is we don't want to lose your 10%. And that's really what it comes down to. We, you know, you're a tither. We only have 30 members here. We got to hold our sheep together. And God forbid you stop tithing. We won't be able to afford, you know, all the stuff that we use your money for. And we won't be able to afford all our productions, our $100,000 sound system and our $500,000 light machine and our million dollar building that we're trying to build up just to be another dead church on the corner. When in reality, it's counterfeit if it's not preaching the full gospel. Now you say, Isaiah, you're being harsh, brother. You're just, you're being so hard. Well, Paul did not say what I said. Paul said, curse them. Literally let them be cursed if they preach another gospel. It says, let a curse fall on them, even if it's an angel. So at least I'm not saying let a curse fall on your pastor, because that's what Paul said. Paul said, if they preach another gospel, then let a curse fall on them, even if it's an angel. Paul says, let a, let a curse. Now, how do you tell if something's counterfeit? 
You put it up to the real thing. I worked at Kmart. That was my first job ever. You didn't know. And we used to have a little pin, a pen that could tell if money was counterfeit. But the counterfeiters that were coming into our store were getting through it and the, the pen wasn't working. And I got in trouble several times because it was fake money in my drawer. And I told my boss, I hit it with the pen. I put the pen, changes colors on it. I put it under the UV light and I still, everything checked out. But what happened was counterfeiters were getting so advanced. Come on, help me preach tonight. They were able to circumvent the system that detects counterfeits. So what we started doing was everybody at Kmart had to get a real $100 bill. And what they said to do was hit it with the pen, put it under the UV light, and then get the, this is how you tell, you get the real $100 bill and you put it right up next to the fake one. And when they're side by side, you can see who's real and who's fake. That's how the bank tells if a counterfeit's counterfeit. They put them side by side. They look at the real and they compare it to the fake. And this is the problem in the church. We have so many fake, but then when we compare it to the real, you go, oh, wait a minute. I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even saved. I've been fake this entire time, but now you have a chance to follow Philip instead of following Simon. Now the Bible says Simon starts following Philip. Here's the first problem. When you follow Philip and you don't follow Christ, he believed and was baptized, but he wasn't following Christ. He was following Philip. And the Bible says, I'm preaching strong tonight. He was amazed by the signs and the wonders that Philip did. Let me ask you this question tonight. Are you following Christ or are you following Isaiah Saldivar? Are you following Jesus Christ? Or are you following an online revival movement? Are you amazed by the signs and wonders? Are you enthralled by the preaching and the miracles and the crowds and all the stuff that's going on? Or are you amazed by the presence and the power of God? Because I'm asking you, do not be amazed by me. Do not be in awe of me. I meet people and they shake and they get nervous and I get it, right? I get it. You've watched me online and you meet me and it's, it's maybe surreal because you've seen me on the, whatever it could be, but they get all shaky and they start, you know, breathing weird. And I, I totally get it. But friend, let us not be shaking when we meet a man or woman of God. Let us be shaking in the presence of God. I don't want to tremble at a celebrity. I don't want to tremble at a man of God or a woman of God. I want to tremble at the presence of God and the power of God. So don't be amazed by a minister or a preacher. Be amazed by the presence of God because I'm a mere man just like you. I'm a human like you. And Simon was in awe of Philip, but Simon was not in awe of Christ. Now, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But I'm talking about when you have no relationship with God outside of your church or outside of a ministry, I want to build up some people that are radical for God, passionate for God, walking in signs and wonders, end time army, spiritual snipers, but have a real solid relationship with Christ. Again, not false humility, but a solid relationship with Christ that know God and that are not worshiping a man. Because if we build movements built, built on men, God will remove the man. If we start building monuments on me and movements on me and worshiping Isaiah, then God will remove me out of the way. And friend, I'm telling you right now, if God's hand comes off of me, if God's anointing comes off of me, if I'm getting on here and there's no power, no presence, no fire, I'm not in relationship with God, I will go get a job at Walmart. Literally, I'll go apply at Chick-fil-A or somewhere. I don't really care because I'm not doing fake. I will not come into a stream, go to a church and preach and be watered down, powerless, and pretend I have the anointing when I don't. I need the presence of God. I can't survive. I, I literally can't do this without the anointing. So the anointing's not there. I can't do this. Now, how do you know if you're following a man 
and or or church and not following God. How do I know if I'm following Philip or following Christ? If you're following Philip, you pray at church but not at home. If you're following Philip, you worship at church only but not at home. You come to meet Christ in a building, but Christ doesn't go home with you. And your daily life is void of the things of God and you start pointing out all the flaws of your leader. The reason why you're so worried about all these leaders and flaws of so-and-so and so-and-so's false, so-and-so's false, and you're worried about everybody being false and flawed is because you're following them. You're not following Christ. If you're following Christ, you see your leader's flaws, which every leader has flaws, and you, you see the flaw and you're like, oh, they're just human like me, but I'm not following Isaiah. I'm not following so-and-so, I'm following Christ. So even though Isaiah has flaws, even though so-and-so has flaws, even though my pastor has flaws, they're human just like me and I'm following Christ because I promise you will always find something wrong or something you don't like every under in every leader that you're under. But guess what? You gotta look under Christ. You gotta look under God because he's the author and the finisher according to the writer of Hebrews. I didn't write your faith, Christ did. And I'm not finishing the run for you and I'm not finishing your faith. I'm not the author or the finisher of your faith, Christ is. Now maybe I'm the one that introduced you to Christ, but I'm not the author of your faith. So you have to look to God. You need to get your eyes off of people, off of their flaws and imperfections, and you need to get your eyes on Christ. That's why you should unsubscribe and unfollow every ministry that all they do is point out the flaws of other people. Any ministry you're following that all they do is say that person's false, that person's false, that person's flawed, that, and they point out everybody's speck with a plank sticking out of their eye, you need to unfollow them because it doesn't edify you to just go around pointing out everybody's false and being so scared that everybody's a false prophet. Let me give you a spoiler alert here. Most of the people that you might think are false are not false prophets. Not everybody's a false prophet and not everybody is out to just try to make a dollar off the gospel. There's so many genuine brothers and sisters that are preaching that are online being called false just because they have a bigger ministry than the guy calling them false. It's called jealousy. It's a real spirit and it causes people to do stupid stuff. So don't be listening to jealous preachers, jealous pastors that say, oh, the reason why Isaiah has 100,000 views and I only have 1,000 is because I'm the remnant and he's false and I'm not. And false people always get numbers wrong. That's not the right way to look at it, friend. You got to understand that Jesus had thousands that follow him. Paul had thousands that follow him. And every genuine person throughout the book of Acts had massive crowds showing up. So it doesn't mean you're false because you have a large following or massive crowds. Be careful who you're listening to and the toxic poison that you're letting into your spirit. And now, friend, understand something. When you look at the flaws of everybody else and every leader around you, not only does it prevent you from seeing your own flaws, but you put people on in pedestal that is not only they don't deserve but is impossible to meet the standard and when trials come your way you're going to backslide because you were never following christ you were following philip you were following men you were following a girlfriend you were following a boyfriend you were following a family member who are you following i want to be following christ that means this it doesn't matter what people say it doesn't matter what people do it doesn't matter if he backslides she backslides they go back they go back i'm still following christ because I'm not following Philip, I'm following Christ. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who had they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as, it, 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 for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So here comes Peter and John, okay? 
Don't get mad when older ministers try to evaluate what you're doing because Peter and John are coming. And here's what they want to see. Are these conversions legitimate? There's revival happening. Guys, Philip's leading revival. And Peter and John go, okay, let's make sure that these conversions are legitimate and that he's not just getting a bunch of people to fill out a card that aren't real people that are really saved. So now they've been baptized in water. Now we're going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. We're going to lay hands. We're going to pray for them. And we're going to see. Now, if Peter and John came into our churches to check if conversions were legitimate, what do you think would happen? We would go to them and say, we have this large stack of cards of everybody that got saved at the Christmas play. And Peter and John would say, that person didn't hear the gospel. That person's not saved. That All these people that you're saying are Christians are not doing what Christ did. And friend, on judgment day, there's going to be stacks of cards of people that didn't really get saved. And Peter and John, they want to check this thing out. They want to see if it's real. And they want to make sure that these new believers are receiving the Holy Spirit. They want to make sure that these new believers are receiving the power of God. And so what do they do? They lay hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Is it biblical to lay hands on people so they can receive the Holy Spirit? Yes. You're going to see it all throughout the book of Acts. The laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit is a biblical reality. Acts 8, 18 through 19. And when Simon saw, this is the sorcerer Simon, that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone whom I lay hands on might receive the Holy Spirit. Here's this question. How much do I have to pay to get the power that you have? How much money is it going to cost me that I could exploit this gift? I could exploit this talent and I could use the power of God to further my agenda and to further my ministry. And some of you still are trying to do this. Isaiah, what is it going to cost me? to be able to preach this way or have a large following or a large crowd. How much do I have to pray? If I only read enough, if I only donate enough, if I only give enough to God, then I'm able to do what you do and have what you have. But understand that you can't buy the power of God. It comes by being in covenant. What you do comes as a result of a relationship with Jesus. The, the reason why we have power to drive out devils, power to lay hands on the sick, power to preach the gospel is because we've been in the secret place with the one that empowers us to do it. So it's not something you buy by praying enough. If I only read enough, I'll be able to have the power. It comes by having relationship with the man, being in covenant with the man that has all power, all authority on earth and in heaven. Now there's four things Simon was confused about. He was confused about grace. He thought, Acts 8, 18, that he could buy God's favor. And you got to realize the grace of God is a free gift, lest any man should boast. If you could buy something or pay a price for something, it's not grace. So he thought that he was going to be able to buy this thing. That's the first thing he was confused about. He was confused about power. He could not see the difference between occult magic and superstition and the power of God. And friend, there's a massive difference between occult power, magic, demonic superstition power, and the power of God. One of them brings life. The other one brings death. One of them is derived from gaining information from demonic spirits. The other is derived from gaining information from the Holy Spirit. There's a massive difference between the devil's power and God's power. The devil has power and the devil is powerful, but he doesn't have all power. God has all power and all authority and that power and that authority has been given to us now. He was also confused about ministry. He saw the works of the disciples and the works of the apostles as some type of showmanship. And he thought, if I have the formula and the power to do this, I can do it too. But understand that this is not a show. Casting out devils is not a show. 
Healing the sick is not a show. Doing miracles is not a show. Now, do we record them to show people? Yes. Why? Because Jesus said, let your works shine before men so that they might see your works and glorify your fathers in heaven. So it's a good thing to have people see deliverances. It's a good thing for people to see miracles, but it's not a show. It's not a showmanship. We're not using our gifts as toys. We're using the gifts of the Holy Spirit as tools. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit are tools, not toys. It's not a show. And he thought that it was a show. Lastly, he was confused about the Holy Spirit's work. He has this entrepreneurial mindset and he thought, I could get rich from this. I could influence people and I could satisfy my ego, but understand the Holy Spirit's job is not to bring you glory, is not to satisfy you. It's to glorify Jesus Christ. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. It will glorify the Son and the Holy Spirit's power is not to bring glory to Isaiah Saldivar, not to bring glory to your ministry, not to exalt you, but to glorify Jesus. Acts chapter 8, verse 20 through 25. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you've thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You will neither have no portion in this manner for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and you're bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered, and this is the response of the sorcerer, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So here's what you have to understand. He says this, let your money be destroyed with your thinking. Your heart's not right with God. Here's your issue. You're saying all the right things, but you have a heart issue. Your heart's not right with God. You're full of bitter jealousy and you're held captive by sin. So his issue is his heart's wrong. He has jealousy. He's poisoned by bitterness. And although he's been baptized and following, he's still held captive by sin. Let me ask you, does sin still have a grip on you? Because the Holy Spirit tonight wants to break the grip that sin has on us. The Holy Spirit wants to deliver us from being captive to bitterness, to jealousy, to resentment, to unforgiveness. Whatever you're held captive by, the Holy Spirit says, today, I want to break these things that have held you down. I don't, I don't want to be held in by bitterness any longer. Come on. I don't want to be held in by jealousy any longer. I don't want to be a, a captive to sin. The Bible says we go from being slaves of unrighteousness to slaves of righteousness, that God wants to wash you and purify you. And then the next thing I want to point out here, how do you respond when people rebuke you? When people rebuke you, how do you respond? What do you, what do you say when people tell you something that you don't realize about yourself? Do you repent? and do what Simon did and say, please pray for me. Ask the Lord that this wouldn't hap happen to me. Or do you turn the other way and make an excuse for your sin and your bad behavior? So is your heart right? Is your secret thought life right? Is your desires with God right? You have to be sick of following Philip and start following Christ. Now the Bible says in Acts 8, 26 through 29, now when an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down to Jerusalem towards Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So now Philip is seeing revival, but all of a sudden Philip says, God says, Philip, I'm giving you new direction. Talk about being led by the Holy Spirit. Arise and go into this dangerous Judean territory where Saul is harassing Christians. 
Now, he hadn't gone that far till he saw this important Ethiopian government official who came down the road, who was coming from this holy city of Jerusalem. He's a treasurer and a personal attendant to the Queen Candace, which is Candy Cause, actually how you say her name, but let's just say Candace for the sake of, of pronunciation. And it's spelled Candace, but it's really Kandaki. Or, or it's really Kandaki. Kandaki is how you say her name, which, okay. So now he, see, he sees this guy who's in charge of all of her money, very wealthy guy, very influential guy. Doesn't God have a way of putting you at the right place at the right time? God says, get up, leave this revival that you're having, go on this road because you're going to meet somebody very influential and it's not going to be an accident. When you hear the voice of God, I want you to understand and think about this for this year. Everybody around you at work, at school, in your family that you encounter, God has put them there and God has put you there for a reason. Do not second think, do not for a second think your life is an accident when it comes to who your family is, when it comes to where you work, when it comes to the people around you, God has put you there. So when you're at work and someone's pouring out their heart, acknowledge, wait a minute, I'm in the middle of a Holy Ghost setup because the Holy Spirit has set me up to be here and I'm going to acknowledge that he has a plan, that there's a reason why I'm here, that I'm going to wake up and get out of bed and I believe this and I pray this over you for 2022. I'm gonna wake up with purpose. I remember waking up when I worked at Starbucks and I would put on my apron and I would get ready and I had purpose and my purpose was not to go make lattes. My purpose was to see souls get saved. Friend, I'm telling you that your career will never satisfy you, only your calling from God is going to satisfy you. So if you think, once I get this career, I'll get out of bed in the morning. You won't. Getting out of bed in the morning comes from calling, not career. You're going to end up empty and miserable and depressed if you look to a career to get you out of bed. If you look to a thing to get you out of bed, you got to look to the purpose of God, the purpose of Jesus Christ, and that's putting you in the right place at the right time. And now, now the voice of the Lord comes and doesn't say, sit down and stay where you're at. The angel says, arise, get up and go. Get out of apathy. Get out of complacency. Get out of your comfort zone. Many times you're going to see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Holy Spirit saying, get up. Why? Because you're never going to get anything done sitting down. You're never going to get anything down in the place of comfort and relaxation. Sitting down is for watching TV, not doing things for God. And so here's the prophetic word to some of you tonight. Arise. Get up off of your lazy tail and do something for God. We need to break out of the spiritual laziness that we've been in in the American church. There's a word and a world. There's a word for you. It's arise. And there's a world waiting for you to go preach, to go heal them, to go drive out your devils, to go drive out their devils, to go bring the gospel to them. So some of you don't need another message or another service or another person to put oil on you or prophesy over you or command, decree, and declare. Some of you just need to get up and go. Jesus' last words, go into all the world and preach. Go. He didn't say wait. And when he said go, he didn't mean go from church to church trying to find who has the nicest building and the nicest kids program. Come on, can I get an amen? He didn't say go find somewhere nice, comfortable for your family. He said go and preach the gospel. Go and lay hands on people. This is the point of the gospel is to go. We want God to speak. God, speak to me. Send me. But we want God to speak something to make us comfortable. Tonight, we're asking the Lord, send us, God. It's time to arise. Lord, send us. Take us somewhere that makes us uncomfortable. He's going to a persecuted area. And God is saying, I want to take you somewhere where you can go, where you're not comfortable, where you can go speak to someone, pray for somebody. And friend, I'm telling you, stop asking God to speak and then 
thinking what you want God to speak. No is also an answer to prayer. So if you're saying, God, should I do this? Could I do this? God is saying, no, no, I don't want you to go there and stay there and do that. I want to bring you out of your comfort zone. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and preach the gospel. Maybe the problem isn't that God is not speaking to you. Maybe the problem is God is not saying what you want to hear. We know you want to be comfortable. We all want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. But God has to bring us out of our comfort zone so that we can preach his gospel and so that his kingdom can grow. Now an angel spoke to him. The angel spoke and said, arise and go. This whole story starts with Philip listening to the angel and we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to listen to when God speaks. If God sends an angel to us, we need to open up our ears and we need to listen. We need to be attentive to the ear. And all of a sudden he meets this man and this man is searching for truth. This man is searching for righteousness. He's on his way back from Jerusalem, a 2000 mile journey, two months to get there and two months to get back. Four months journey. But he says, I'm willing to do it to encounter God in some level to encounter God. The world is willing to search. The world is searching for God, not for religion, not for status quo. They're looking for the spirit of God. And some of us, we can't even drive 10 minutes to go to the house of God. This guy did a four month journey and they're looking for God. And that lie saying the world doesn't want God, influential people don't want God. He was influential but he still needed the gospel. And every celebrity, every YouTuber, every famous person you see, every one of them, doesn't matter how much money they have, how much money they've shoved in their hole and their void, every one of them have an empty space where they need God and they want God. Now the eunuch told Philip to get into his carriage. And we as believers must be willing to get in people's carriages. We must be willing to get into their personal life, not just come to church on Sunday, but have you been in someone's carriage? Have you got up in their personal life? It's time to stop hanging around the same people and to get in the carriage of someone that's broken. Him asking Philip to come in his carriage was a sign of, you can be in my life. You can be close to me. I'm letting you in. And some people around you are letting you in. And God is saying they're letting you in their life so that you can share with them. If you've ever been around someone and they're opening up to you, they're letting you in their carriage, they're letting you in their space, that might be God bringing you a chance or showing you a chance to share the gospel with them. But if you don't ever go in anyone's carriage, if you don't bring anyone around you or get close to anybody to win them to the Lord, then you'll never be in anyone's carriage. Now, I'm not saying go to the club to try to witness, okay? Jesus ate with the sinners. Jesus didn't party with the sinners. I'm not saying to go and hang out with the world to try to be friends with them. This man was hungry for God. He was willing. He was on the journey. Here he sees a man of God. God brought Philip there and he's getting ready to that crossroads where he's going to be able to witness to him. Acts 8, 30 through 35. We're almost done. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he reads was, he was led to a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? So he's reading the prophet Isaiah and he said, is, is this prophet talking about himself or another man? Then the Bible says Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, notice what Philip does to evangelize, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. 
So the story of Isaiah, in Isaiah, the prophecy is about a suffering savior, Jesus. The eunuch is reading it and saying, is this story about Isaiah or is it about another man? Philip decides to start preaching right from where he's leaving off. So he met him where he was at and addressed his specific concern. This is how you witness to people. You explain God in a way that relates to their life. Jesus can relate to everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And when we witness, we target where they're at and we witness to them where they're at specifically, just like Philip did. Philip did not say, you're going to hell and hold a sign on the corner. And when his chariot passed by or his, his carriage passed by, Philip was not at the corner with the sign saying, you're going to hell, turn or burn. Philip was right alongside, gets invited into his carriage and says, where are you at with God? The guy says, this is where I'm at. I'm reading the story. I don't understand it. I need someone to explain it to me. And Philip was able to read him exactly where he was at and preach Jesus to him. Philip asked him, do you understand? The man said, how can I understand unless you explain it to me? Here's the issue in the church. We assume the world knows about right or wrong. We assume that they know about God and many don't. And it's our job as believers to teach the world about the Bible. Don't assume that people understand what they're doing is wrong. In fact, I sinned for years and didn't realize I was wrong and I was sinning. I didn't feel bad about it, whether it was cussing or partying or drinking. I thought it was just, all right, whatever. I don't feel bad about it. There's no conviction. And I didn't realize that no one had told me or I didn't have that conviction to know that it was wrong. Now, my parents, of course, had told me and taught me and raised me in a Christian home that it was wrong, but I'd lost that power of God. I, I had no conviction in my life. I, I lost that conviction that I had once as a child and I needed someone to teach me the word of God to explain it to me. So don't assume that your friends at work know about God. Don't assume that your family know about God. We need to explain. So you need to learn how to explain to them. You need to learn how to preach to them and how to explain the word of God. Acts 8, 36 through 40. We're almost done. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more. And when he went on his way rejoicing, and he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So I want you to notice something. Philip didn't initiate the baptism. The eunuch said, could I be baptized? We have to stop waiting for the world to engage us and start engaging them. This is good preaching because we always say, well, I'll pray for them if they ask me. I'll invite them if they ask me about God. I'll lay hands on them if they ask me for prayer. But God is saying, don't wait for the world to ask you to baptize them and to pray for them. Initiate it. We must engage with them. How many of you know when you're at work or school and someone's like, hey, will you pray for me? And you get so excited. You're like, oh, they asked me for prayer. I would love to. And you're all bold. God is saying, why do we have to wait for them to ask? Why didn't Philip say, hey, there's water right there. You could be baptized. I really believe we have to stop just waiting around for the world to ask us to be baptized, to hear the gospel. And we have to start being bold and start going to them because this man, Philip is about to get teleported and this man would only be in Philip's life temporarily. God has put this man in Philip's life temporarily so that he could hear the gospel. I wonder how many people God has put in your life temporarily so that you can make an impact on them before they're gone. Many of us get attached 
to people. But God says they might only be there temporarily. Now, don't be mad when you move on from your church or your church moves on from you. That might have only been a temporary relationship. Don't get mad when that person you shared with and prayed with and witnessed to and moves on and moves out of state or goes to a different church because they might be there only temporarily. Some people are like scaffolding. You, they're there to help you build, but scaffolding doesn't stay at a building or a house. It gets removed after they're done building. So there might be people in your life that are there to help you build, but then God says it's time for them to be removed. And just like that, Philip, the Bible says, was caught up away. What was that? What does that mean? It means he was translated. And this is what we would say today as teleported. Okay. He was teleported. This happened to Jesus. This happened to the disciples. Several times they were teleported. He was brought away and he continued preaching. That's Acts chapter eight. We just spent an hour and 15 minutes, only got through one chapter. It's all good. And this is what God is saying today. It's time to arise. It's time to break out of counterfeit. And it's time to go forth in the power of God. Cause there may be someone around you. And I want you to think about this. This might be the last time, or you might be the last person that will ever preach the gospel to them. What if you, what if you go to work and the person there, God knows has only a month left to live. And you're like, God, why did you move me and transfer me to this new job at this new office? I loved my old job and you're angry and bitter. And you're right in a cubicle next to this person that God knows is going to die in one month. And you don't know that you only God does. And you're next to them and you're witnessing to them, sharing with them. And then all of a sudden you find out so-and-so passed away in a car accident and it dawns on you that God moved me from that other job to this job, to this building, to this cubicle, to be next to this person that for one month I was going to share the gospel with. How many times are we missing opportunities? What I'm trying to say is live with purpose. Don't live on accident. When you get out of bed, going to your, what you feel is a dead nine to five, Go and get ready and say, I'm suiting up to go to church. I'm going to preach to somebody. I don't care what job you have. I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom. I don't care if you're a garbage person. You work at Starbucks, McDonald's, Walmart. You're a doctor, a politician, a police officer. It doesn't matter. Your life has purpose and everything God does. The Bible says God orders the steps of the righteous. God is ordering your steps. I'll tell you right now, you'll stop going to work miserable. You'll stop going, I hate this job. I don't want to be here. And you'll go, wait a minute. There's a purpose why I'm here. I'm here because I'm going to bring someone to faith. I'm going to preach to somebody. Somebody's going to get healed. Somebody's going to hear the gospel. Somebody's going to know God. And God, every person in my life, type this in the chat, every person in my life has purpose. Every person is not only has purpose, every person in my life is there for a purpose. Not one family member, not one coworker, because my steps are ordered by God. And I don't believe there's any coincidence in the Bible. I don't believe in coincidences at all. This is all divinely ordered by God himself. And there's a purpose for every person, every relationship, even that guy that annoys you and bugs you and you can't stand. God said there's a purpose. So let us pray tonight that we would become better evangelists. Let us pray tonight that we would do the three things that Philip did. We would preach, we would cast out devils, and we'd heal the sick. I'm not making this up, y'all. This is in the book of Acts here, Acts chapter 8. Let us pray that we would hear the voice of God like Philip did and that every chance we'd get that we would arise, that the Lord is saying to you tonight, arise, break out. It's time to come out of that slumber. It's time to come out of that sleep, that going through the motions, that watered down, that counterfeit. And it's time for the real thing. I want the real thing, guys. I pray almost every day that God would, that I would have the real. God, I want the real. I want the real. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what manifestation. I don't care if it makes me feel funny or weird. Doesn't matter. As long as it's real, this is the desire of my heart. I want the real. And the Bible says the way we prove what's real and what's not is through signs and wonders. 
Jesus said the signs and wonders prove that I'm preaching the, the real thing. And I want the real thing. I don't want a counterfeit Christianity. I don't want to find out on judgment day. I was living this counterfeit, watered down Christian life. I want the power of God for real. I want the presence of God for real. I really want to know God, like really want to know God. I really want to know what he's like. I really want to hear his voice. I want that to be your prayer tonight. I want you to say, God, I need you to give me that supernatural boldness, that supernatural power, that supernatural authority. I don't want to live my life this dead counterfeit Christianity. Father, we pray tonight in Jesus' name that you would break laziness off of us. You'd break complacency off of us. That God, we would no longer go through the motions, but give us a boldness, God. Break anyone out tonight that's in counterfeit and give us the real thing. We want clarity. I, I even pray tonight that the spirit of confusion would be broken in Jesus' name. I pray that the power of confusion would be broken in Jesus' name. That you would no longer be confused about, I don't know if this is right or that's right or this person's false or that person's not. Father, remove the confusion. There's no, when I read the Bible, there's no confusion. And Father, I pray that there would be boldness. There would be clarity that revival would break out in our families. I pray divine healing, just like we saw in the book of Acts. I pray, Lord, every person listening, release your healing power and your healing touch over them. Your word says we have not because we ask not. So tonight we ask for boldness. Come on, chat, pray. We ask for wisdom. We ask for divine healing tonight. We ask for supernatural deliverance tonight that every devil would be driven out in Jesus name every demonic spirit as Philip preached in Acts chapter 8 every unclean spirit and every unclean power would go in Jesus name Holy Spirit have your way Holy Spirit do what only you can do tonight Holy Spirit heal our bodies heal our minds give us boldness give us passion give us love for your word like we've never had before Holy Spirit, open up our eyes. Where do you want us to go, Father? Speak to us clearly. Put us on the path, God. Nothing is by accident, Lord. We know that there's a divine purpose behind everything you're doing. So, Lord, we just say, have your way tonight. Have your way tonight. Touch every person watching, every person that needs boldness, every person that needs your fire, your power, your anointing. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, that you would just begin to touch these people. Lord, burn off everything that is not of you. Burn off everything that is not of you. Remove it in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in Jesus' mighty name. We need the fire of God. We need the power of God. We need the anointing of God. Give us a heart that hears, a discerning heart, as Solomon prayed, God. Point out anything as David prayed that is, offends you, that is in our life, Lord. Tonight, bring revival, God. Bring revival. Tonight, we arise. We want to be a part of that. We want your Holy Spirit. We want your power. Let us get in the carriage of those that are broken, those that are hurting, God. Bring them in our life. Set up divine appointments. I pray over every one of you, and I pray over myself, God, divine appointments. Set up divine appointments in our life. Whoever that is, wherever that is, wherever you work, wherever you're at, God wants to set up divine appointments. Lord, and when you set up these appointments, let us hear your word and let us hear your voice so that we can step through the doors that you've ordained. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Fill us with your power tonight, Holy Spirit. We need you. More of your power. We want to know more about you, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Come on, chat, pray. In Jesus' name, we pray for healing and deliverance tonight. Come on, if you need to lay hands on yourself, if you have a family in the room that's sick in body, just lay hands on them and begin to pray for healing. We just pray the healing power of God be released. The healing power of God be released. The healing anointing be released in Jesus' name. Open doors in Jesus' name. Power of God be released. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're doing a new thing. 
Thank you that we are living the book of Acts, that there is no amen. We break off religion that says that there's no power. We break off religion that tries to put you in a box and say you are powerless. And we pray, Holy Spirit, release your power, God, over every one of us. We want to live your divine purpose. We want to live your divine purpose in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what only you can do. Power of God. Every foul spirit must go in Jesus' name. Every unclean power must go in Jesus' name. Satan, you are bound. You have no power. Just as Philip drove out demons, we pray tonight that demons would be driven out according to the word of God. Every foul spirit come up and out right now of every person watching. Children, I don't care if you're young, you're old, you're male, you're female, doesn't matter. We command every foul spirit to leave these people right now in Jesus' name. You're bound, Satan. You must go. You are bound. In Jesus' name, you must go. The Lord rebukes you. Come out of these people now. Every spirit up and out right now. Every foul spirit up and out right now. Spirit of confusion, anger, bitterness, resentment. Go in Jesus' name. Spirit of confusion and religion. Go in Jesus' name. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. Come up and out right now. Come up and out right now. You have no power. We bind you. We bind you in Jesus' name. We bind you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Go now in Jesus' name. Go now in Jesus' name. We rebuke you, Satan. Come out. We bind you now. We break every contract, every assignment, every plan of the enemy. We break it now. Your power has been broken, Satan. You are powerless in Jesus' name. The Lord rebukes you. Every unclean spirit, every sickness, go now. Every sickness, every spirit of infirmity, go now. Come out now. Come out now. Every unclean spirit of infirmity, every sickness in the body, we say be healed and made whole in Jesus' mighty name. Spirit of frustration, you're frustrated all the time and you can't stand it. Come on, get out now in Jesus' name. Spirit of frustration, get out now in Jesus' name. You will not be frustrated. You will not be frustrated in Jesus' name. Lord, deliver us from anxiety, from stress, from bitterness, from resentment. Thank you, Lord. Many people in the chat are getting delivered. Thank you, Father, for your delivering hand, your work. For this reason, John said, the Son of Man was made, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of darkness. Our battle is not flesh and blood. We are not fighting people. We're fighting persons with no bodies, Ephesians 6 says. We're inviting, we're fighting spirits, the Bible says. And we come against these foul spirits in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Every spirit must go. Every satanic power must go right now. All fear, all anxiety, go now. Off our children. Come on, begin to pray for your kids right now. Come off our children in Jesus' name. You have no legal rights to our family. We break you off our bloodline. We break every curse by the word of God. We break every curse. Every curse is broken in Jesus' name. We cancel your assignment and your contract, Satan. All the contracts of those demons, we break them now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Have your way, God. Have your way. Thank you, Lord. I feel excited and pumped. Good. You should. Thank you, Lord. No more alcoholism. Praise the Lord. Come on. In Jesus' name. It will not run in our family any longer. It ran in your family until it ran into you. Come on. It ran in your family until it ran into you. It stops now in Jesus' name. What, what generational curses are there that need to be broken? We break every generational curse in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We sever the curse in every tie. In Jesus' name. Healing and deliverance. Thank you, Lord. In boldness. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you for the boldness in Jesus' name. Awesome, awesome night tonight, guys. If you are blessed, I want to challenge you to sow into the ministry. It's how we continue. We can't do this without you guys. So thank you to everyone that's sowing, donating, partnering, and just being here. We really thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.